What? What? What's all that yelling? You just can't wait for me to die, can you? They're selling chocolate. Chocolate? Yeah. What? What are they selling? Chocolate. What? Chocolate. I can't hear you. They're selling chocolate. They're selling chocolate. Yeah. Chocolate. I remember when they first invented chocolate. Sweet, sweet chocolate. I always hated it. Ahoy, mateys, and welcome to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. My name is Captain Eric, and we're continuing our sail through the third season of SpongeBob SquarePants. Today's episode is Chocolate with Nuts. This episode is the first half of the 52nd episode of SpongeBob, and it first premiered on June 1st, 2002. This episode was written by Paul Tibbet, Kaz, Kent Osborne, and Meriwether Williams. Our storyboard artists are Carson Kugler, William Reese, and Mike Roth. Our storyboard directors are Paul Tibbet and Kaz. Our animation director is Andrew Overtoom, and our creative director, as always, is Derek Dryman. Earlier today on my Twitter account, at I'm Ready Podcast, if you want to follow Captain Eric on Twitter, I'm on there usually on a daily basis looking at the animation news, but I put out a tweet and it says as follows. Remembering that the next episode of the podcast is on chocolate with nuts brought an immediate smile to my face. I may or may not be right in the middle of the best string of episodes in the series' long-standing history. I was sitting back and thinking about it. These last few episodes, beyond just being home runs in their own right, being absolute classic episodes, being episodes that are still talked about to this day, but now we're at chocolate with nuts, an episode that you can trigger multiple generations of remembering simply by screaming out chocolate or the classic exchange between a daughter and her mother in this episode, one that has just gone down in the annals of SpongeBob history, one that'll continue to be quoted 50 to 100 years from now because it's just such an iconic moment for such an iconic show. Now back to my my other point there in my my tweet about this being one of the best string of episodes in the in the show's history. I I'd be hard pressed to find anyone who would disagree with that at least from the episode of um wet painters like these these last four episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants, wet painters, crusty crab training video, party pooper pants and chocolate with nuts and then of course next week's episode Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy 5 and then I new student starfish we have so much more of season 3 to get through and all of this is gold this is absolute gold this is why I tell people that the third season of SpongeBob SquarePants is one of the greatest television seasons of any animated property in the history of television it just it's a fact the amount of fantastic, iconic, and memorable episodes in this season are just a wonder to behold, and I'm so happy to be in the middle of this. So on to today's episode, which which really, from, from the get-go, immediately reminds me of the amount of times that we were uh, asked to sell chocolate for fundraisers in school, whether or not it was elementary school or middle school. 
um, around, you know, the sixth grade, the seventh grade, the eighth grade. By high school time, they don't really have fundraisers like that, or at least in my high school. I don't I don't think there was ever a chocolate selling fundraiser that at least I can remember. Might have been one, but it was really big in middle school. They made a big deal about it. They got the entire school involved. And for those that don't know what that is, um, basically... A company comes in with with chocolate to sell and prizes to give out, and it's an it's a way to help bring revenue to the school. And you're the idea being that they want you to sell this chocolate, pretty much probably for a higher price, so they can make some sort of profit on it, I imagine. And they want you to sell as much chocolate as you can, because if you do, they have a various amount of prizes that they can offer to you if you sell X amount of chocolate. If you sell four boxes, this is what you can get. If you sell five boxes, this is what you can get. And that's the hook. When you're a middle school kid and they hand you this catalog with a varying degree of prizes going from, you know, school utensils, usually if you sold even one candy bar, you were guaranteed some sort of pencil or something like that. But it would go from small, you know, pencils and crayons to keychains and collectibles to then really not great electronics that they would tease you with, like like radios and MP3 players. Oh, this is going to be great. And then they would get to the big prizes, the ones that they would really dangle the carrot in front of you to sell as many chocolates as you can. The one prize that has always stuck in my head from that time was, it, and I don't remember if it was the the top prize, but it certainly was a big one. If it wasn't the top, it was like maybe the second under but they would give any kid who got up to that level of prize uh, about a minute or 30 seconds in a money booth. They would set up this big old plastic, like, you know, tent, not really like a, like a camping tent, but it was like a, almost like a phone booth, uh, but plastic filled with air, and inside was all this money flying around with the fans going, and they would let kids that you know got up to that prize level take their 30 seconds in there and try to catch as much cash as they could. You got to keep whatever you were able to catch in that uh in that time. So they would usually have you know a bunch of dollar bills, a couple fives, maybe you know a couple tens, definitely like a 20 or 50 in there, and they I believe threw in a $100 bill and. Then they, you know, during an assembly time or whatnot, they would, you know, show off in front of all the kids. They'd let, they'd let each kid who got up to that level take their turn in the money booth. And, you know, it was a sight to behold. But I I could not for the life of me sell the amount of chocolates that were required to get to those levels. Some kids just had parents who would immediately take home boxes of chocolates to bring to their work to sell there because they knew it would be a hit. They, you know, have parents and like big factories and they would just sell boxes upon boxes of chocolate because, you know, if you're working and, and a coworker of yours has a kid who's doing a fundraiser, everybody wants to just throw some money towards you. But I was stuck doing it the hard way, going door to door, selling these chocolates to people who either didn't eat chocolate, didn't want chocolate, didn't care about a school fundraiser and just knew that it was kind of expensive and they'd rather just go somewhere else. But I, you know, had a varying degree of success over my chocolate selling days. Of course, now I've upgraded to selling other means, but there, there's an art to, to selling. And SpongeBob and Patrick learn a few of those arts here in this episode, Chocolate with Nuts, which starts out this episode with, of course, another annoyance of the mailman from SpongeBob. This might be one of my favorite just cold openings of SpongeBob SquarePants where 
SpongeBob is just kind of placed like right when the episode starts, he's placed just in this specific area, maybe for a gag. Um, they've done it a few times before, and it's one of those top 10 lists I would love to do on the on the show. Just top 10 cold openings where it's just like kind of just random, not random, non sequitur kind of opening. But the fact that SpongeBob is sitting, humming to himself, waiting in the mailbox for the mailman is absolutely hilarious. He pops out of the mailbox right at the time as the mailman is opening it and scares the mailman away, which you would think that by now this guy would understand what SpongeBob is all about. But, you know, maybe this is just the first time that SpongeBob is doing it. It's obviously our first time seeing it, but I I can't imagine any time they present a a new way for this character to annoy others. I I can't imagine we're always seeing it for the first time. I I feel like he's been doing this at least for, for a decent amount. But since it's mail time, that also means it's time for Patrick to come over to see what SpongeBob has received in the mail. And as usual, this ongoing gag over the show about Gary's kind of second life or just what Gary does behind closed doors continues right on the screen where, of course, all of the mail is just for Gary. Nothing's for SpongeBob. It's all for Gary until he gets to this magazine, Fancy Living Digest. In its second volume of, of course, December 2002. It's nice that we actually get a a time for this episode because, you know, I'm going to guess by the fact that Squidward is receiving his December issue of Fancy Living Digest that this episode just does indeed take place in December of 2002. I mean, that's that's when the magazine's coming. Um, The fact that Squidward is a subscriber to Fancy Living Digest is not at all surprising. I mean... Once you saw it pop into SpongeBob's hands as mail delivered to his house, it's almost inevitable that it's just Squidward's mail by accident. Um, Fancy Living Digest reminds me of the old TV show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And uh, who is the name of the actor? There's probably people hearing that and they already know who I'm talking about. But it was a television program where this uh, host would go around the world Sorry, I'm trying to type at the same time. But this host would go around the world and show off the the lifestyles of, yes, just the rich and famous, but he would be showing off the lifestyles of people that either you never even heard of before or that you were seeing this type of living for the first time. There was always something new to behold when it came to uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous. Um, Robin Leach was the host of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. He has a very distinct voice that I would advise any of you to actually just look up, even for 10 seconds to hear. Um, It's been parodied time and time again in cartoons. Anytime there's going to be a segment profiling somebody rich and famous, they're usually doing a Robin Leach impression, which I believe even SpongeBob does in a later season, but we'll, we'll get to that later on. Back to Fancy Living Digest, which, just like the television show, seems to profile those with an exorbitant amount of money under the sea. One of the first profiles that SpongeBob and Patrick come across when looking at this magazine is somebody who is so rich that they're able to afford not only an in-ground swimming pool, but they also have a kiddie pool inside that swimming pool, which really, I mean, yes, having an in-ground pool is certainly an expense, but the, the top part of that the swimming pool inside the swimming pool like that's not really that impressive although from the picture it does kind of remind me of how they build like modern backyard pools where they include a jacuzzi like in the design of the pool 
I I could probably see somebody having a uh, jacuzzi like that almost in the middle of their in-ground pool with an outside rim that looks like it's a kiddie pool. I could see that design popping up if uh, somebody was rich enough and also a SpongeBob super fan. <laughs> oh, sorry. Caught my throat there. Um, now, as SpongeBob and Patrick are gazing upon these rich people who live lifestyles that just seem almost unreachable for most of us, Squidward comes into play as he snatches the magazine, really upset that SpongeBob and Patrick are looking at his mail, although they're completely deterred by that fact because of everything that they just saw. They saw these people living lives that just, they're like fantasies. How did, how do these people get that kind of money? Squidward, not being wrong, says that these people are entrepreneurs and that they make things that people buy. And now, I am a massive fan of Shark Tank. And if you've never seen Shark Tank, then I imagine somewhere in, in your part of the world there is a Shark Tank equivalent under a different name, Dragon's Den. Uh, there's, there's a few others around the world. Almost every country has their own version of Shark Tank in which they come together a bunch of already prominent entrepreneurs who then are tasked to listen to pitches from other companies for part ownership or capital for shipping purposes, production purposes, whatever their means may be or what they're looking for. And it's all about making deals. And if you're somebody who has any interest whatsoever in business, um, learning just how to properly advertise yourself, or even in just the basic idea of making products, I would advise watching those shows. You end up learning so much information from both entrepreneurs um, as mainstays on the show and even as the entrepreneurs who come in pitching their ideas because sometimes they blow the sharks away with what they what they present. Now, not everybody featured in Fancy Living Digest has to be an entrepreneur. I, I imagine there might be some people in there who um, just were born with an exorbitant amount of money in their family and then have smartly invested it beyond their means so that they don't have to work, they don't have to do anything, and it has nothing to do with selling products. But Squidward isn't wrong that most people who have a decent amount of money to their name are entrepreneurs. It, it usually is a, is a go-to um, when you want to become successful on your own. Well, what do you have to offer the world? Now, SpongeBob and Patrick want the kind of money that they see in that magazine. They want to have the swimming pools inside of swimming pools and the shoes, and they want everything that comes with the life of being fancy. And now that Squidward has given them this information of selling something, they have to find something in the world to sell and then sell it properly. As their discussions are going on, they come across the idea of selling chocolates. It's pretty much the one thing that Patrick would want in that point in time that you could purchase a chocolate bar. SpongeBob and Patrick do the wrong thing, in my opinion, though, which is basically go to the bargain mart and purchase all of their retail sold chocolate bars to then resell out in the world. Now, your profit margin there is not going to be much. And I imagine you're going to be hard pressed finding people to give you more money for chocolate than what is already available at the store. Although you are, you know, pretty much bringing the chocolate to them in a door to door scenario. So one could argue that the extra price is essentially the shipping and handling of that chocolate bar. But hey, you have to start a business somewhere as much as I wouldn't agree with the way they started their business. They still found a way to all of a sudden have an immense amount of chocolate inventory that they now have to sell door-to-door -to, -door to the citizens of Bikini Bottom. 
And with that idea, it gives us a chance to take an extra look at more of the familiar citizens of Bikini Bottom and even the unfamiliar citizens, the ones that'll just become as iconic as the familiar ones. All it takes is one good appearance to stick in the minds of all who see it. Um, Now, their very first customer here, SpongeBob and Patrick go up to a house. Their very first customer is Incidental Number 6, better known as Tom. Now, as I've mentioned before, the incidentals are essentially all of the background fish that you see from episode to episode. They may have similar designs, but they never are exactly doing the same thing. They don't have characteristics that always have to stay in line. There have been things about these characters that have stuck with them, um, especially Fred and his My Leg Shtick, which then got you know completely amplified in later seasons. Um, A few of these other characters would just have one-off appearances with a quirk, and then it would never be talked about again. And boy, does Tom have a quirk in this episode, because as probably the most iconic moment of this episode, if not the second most iconic, when Tom here is presented with the information of chocolate being sold, it causes him to scream out in a manic way uh, at the top of his lungs, screaming chocolate, out at Patrick and SpongeBob as he chases them throughout the streets of Bikini Bottom and throughout the rest of this episode. It's a moment that has stood the test of time. It's It just comes out of left field. I mean, as a kid, it's ridiculous to see somebody act like that when presented with the idea of purchasing chocolate. And you just never know what his deal is, if it's pure anger or if it's just like mad at chocolate or or SpongeBob and Patrick selling chocolate. You, you have no idea where this is going until the end of the episode, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Tom has absolutely a career defining moment here on his role as SpongeBob SquarePants. It's literally this and the three-day potato salad that are like the, the first two things I think of when it comes to Tom in this episode. Now, I do want to um, echo the idea that a lot of these characters don't have names, and behind the scenes at the development of SpongeBob SquarePants, they are still listed with their incidental numbers. A lot of these names have been kept in a lot of like side projects of SpongeBob SquarePants, like a lot of video games may still refer to this fish, Incidental 6, as Tom. I usually stick to those names. It's easier for me to remember them instead of a lot of the incidental numbers. But um, yeah, just know that, you know, behind the scenes, even though there might be some people on the show who even call this character as Tom, he literally is listed as incidental six on the on the inside pages of SpongeBob SquarePants. But nonetheless, um, one of his other nicknames here is just the chocolate fish. The guy absolutely obsessed with chocolate, screaming at the top of his lungs for it. Um, and, and just the fact that they keep going back to this and literally it happens so much in this episode that you're never really sure on when he's going to pop up again. And, and it's one of my favorite bits of this episode. The second customer they approach is a one of those unfamiliar fish I had mentioned, because this is the first time we are running into this fish. He is known as a bit of a con man. He doesn't necessarily have a name. And on the sheets, this is another interesting facet when it comes to the incidentals. The the con fish in this episode is listed as Incidental 118C, and it's because he is a variation, an alternate variant of Incidental 118, who is one of the main police officers in Bikini Bottom. So what that means is when they want to take a fish design 
and just usually probably change the colors and even maybe the clothing, but the exact design and shape of the fish stays the same. That's another variant of that incidental. So I, I like that they took the cop fish to make the con fish in this episode. It's it's a nice little duology there of these uh, these fish types. But they run into this con man, this very slick and suave salesman who answers the door looking at these poor entrepreneurs and their terrible salesmanship skills. And he shows them what a real salesman would do because he ends up taking SpongeBob and Patrick's uh, plan of selling chocolates and turns it on their head by offering these boys little bags to hold their chocolate bars in. In fact, they're specifically made to hold chocolate bars in, you know, so you don't want the chocolate to get all melted in the sun and you want to keep these things nice and fresh. You, you put each chocolate bar in an individual bag. Of course, SpongeBob and Patrick, being the forever smart entrepreneurs that they are, buy a, a boatload of these bags, which are really not a necessity in this situation. You can absolutely tell where this confish was coming from. There, There's a quote. I don't remember the quote exactly where there was something along the lines of not wanting to sell directly to the consumer, but it's sometimes better to just sell to the other people who want to sell. Like, in this regard, look at the amount of money that this one guy made off of SpongeBob and Patrick who were trying themselves to do some selling. Um, there, there's an art form to that when you can sell to the people who want to sell and you're a part of like almost that middleman process. But this guy is just out of his mind. But hey, if SpongeBob and Patrick are willing to spend the money, I mean, it's their money at the end of the day. But they walk out of that situation now with with not just holding a bunch of chocolate bars, but they now have all these bags and have gone one step further in not just stuffing a single chocolate bar into one bag, but then shoving more bags into others. By the time they get to their next client, SpongeBob is pulling out 20 bags trying to look for the one with the chocolate bar and each time having to throw away the all you know they've wasted all this time the customer who was intrigued on buying a chocolate bar then had to rescind her offer just at the amount of time it took for spongebob to get the one chocolate bar out of like 20 something bags which by the way they did go back to that confish a second time and he did present at least a decent product the second time around which was an even bigger bag to hold all these individual bags in. And so at this point, he has now made double the amount of money from SpongeBob and Patrick, and they obviously have now spent all of the money on the chocolate, all of the money and all these extra bags that they need. And they keep running into situations where they're just spending money. They're not finding a lot of success selling. And I, as somebody who does sell, and I might not sell food or chocolate, but selling is selling. The, the best advice I can give to anybody that is looking to to sell to a customer, to upsell to somebody. Look, be yourself, be natural, don't sound like a robot, be personable. And, you know, at the end of the day, look, customers are smart. They know that you're there to try to, to spend money. But if you are honest in what you are selling and you're giving your, your full attention to the customer, you're building a small relationship there where they know, hey, this person is not trying to gouge all of the money out of my pocket and they're they're just trying to help me out. Well, that's what you hope. Obviously, there are salesmen out there like this Confish who are a little bit overzealous in how they uh, how they look for their profits, how they make their money. And there's almost no shame to it. But case in point, the the big chocolate holder bags 
Patrick ended up spending the money for 20 of them when SpongeBob and Patrick only end up using two at a time. So there's just all this wasted money going down the drain. Uh, eventually, we find ourselves here at the Bikini Bottom Diner where there's a defeated SpongeBob and Patrick after they've tried selling to people and, and keep coming up with no good results. They haven't sold a single chocolate bar yet. Um, now, one of the ideas that Patrick brings up is the idea of uh, getting naked as an option to sell chocolate. Now, SpongeBob, smart enough to know that it's a it's a decent idea, but not one that should be saved for chocolate. They'll they should probably wait on that until they get into the real estate game. And just this whole little conversation that they have, like I spoke about it longer than they had it. And it, it comes and goes, but it's just one of those funny little non sequitur moments that they have in this episode that I, it, it makes me laugh every time. Like I want to pause the episode so I can at least properly laugh at that before things continue on. Now, their next goal in selling is being kind to people, which should be your goal anytime you're trying to interact with somebody. I mean, whether or not you're actively trying to sell something to somebody, if you're working, you generally want to just be nice because then people get to be nice to you back. Um, now, when you're selling, though, it's not always the best to be, you know, super forward in being nice. Which is a prime example on on going a bit too far in being nice to customers. Uh, this one fish that SpongeBob and Patrick run into is completely despised by chocolate, doesn't want any of it. He used to be a heavy set kid at the age of 13 and shows a picture of what he looked like at the age of 13. Pretty much understands that chocolate just leads to bubbling fat and then Patrick wants to keep this picture of this guy and is completely enthralled by this photo of this like incredibly chunky 13-year-old. And as Patrick is looking at this photo, the guy offers him the photo for $5, to which Patrick replies, rightfully so, I'll take 10, which he like immediately the scene cuts to another scene. And Patrick has a bunch of photos, which means the guy at least had 10 photos of himself at 13. I don't know why he has so many of them. It could be a situation where maybe he's, um, you know, going, you know, going around and telling his story to people on, on how you know big he was at a younger age and how he's lost weight, which is, is certainly something someone could do out there if, if it's their story to tell. Uh, now, I... I really like this little conversation that SpongeBob and Patrick have when they come across the Barnacle Chips billboard. At this point, SpongeBob has hit peak frustration when it comes to selling. They, they don't seem to find success no matter what they're doing, how they're coming across to customers. They're just not able to make a sale. And when they come across this Barnacle Chips billboard, it mentions that they are delicious. They're delicious chips. And I just love that SpongeBob calls out barnacle chips for not being a delicious chip and lying on their billboard about it, which then prompts the light bulb idea that one should bend the truth enabled to become a better salesman or that you should bend the truth about the product you're selling to entice more people to buy it just like barnacle chips was doing. Now, apparently from what Patrick mentions, um, he's not using barnacle chips for eating. He doesn't necessarily tell you what he's using barnacle chips for, but I like can only imagine what that was a meant to be or what they were even thinking with that line. Um, now, when it comes to stretching the truth and and lying, when it comes to selling, it's not a good foundation to build on. 
Because if you are even thinking about becoming a personality in the sales game, you're going to have to build goodwill around that or else no one is going to trust you. There's a reason why certain sales personalities out, the, out there in the world become as popular as they do, because on top of being an entertaining character on screen selling you a, a product, a specific product or a wide variety of products from a specific company, they're also behind a product that actually stands by what it says. People buy that, then they trust the personality. But if you if you lie and deceive people and the product isn't as good as what they thought, you've immediately lost a customer, possibly for life. They may never trust you again. You you have a one and done when it comes to a lot of people. As a as someone who has been selling for the last 10 years of my life, there's no doubt that for whatever reason, I've come across customers that one bad experience with me meant that that person was never going to buy something from me again. And that's okay. It, it, all it can take is just one bad experience. But you shouldn't you shouldn't lie when it comes to the products you're selling. Tell the truth for as much as you can. And if that means that you have to be honest and say, I don't know or that I don't have experience with it, then then so be it. At least you're honest. You're building that foundation with that customer that you're trying to spend money to. And if you're constantly honest with people, they'll keep coming and spending money to you. I, I know that for a fact. Um, now, they spend this next sequence going around to different customers around Bikini Bottom and making up absolutely extraordinary lies to sell chocolates. Now, the first bit of customers that they meet up in this endeavor are probably the most iconic one-off characters in the history of this show. And not specifically Incidental 87, which is the elderly woman who answers the door, but it is, in fact, Incidental 87's mother, who is one of the most iconic one-off characters in the history of the show. Just, just bar none, it is unquestionable. She's so iconic that in season 12, when they were coming with all of these kind of return episodes of characters and, and spotlight episodes on Fred and on Bubble Buddy, they even went back to the elderly woman from Chocolate with Nuts and gave her her own episode, Biddy Sitting, which just it's one of those ideas that, hey, if I were working at SpongeBob SquarePants day one, hey, do you have any ideas? Hey, let's go back to this really weird old lady character that you presented with us in Chocolate with Nuts. I, there's so much potential with her. And just, boy, I'm, I'm so glad that they did that. But her performance in this episode is one of the funniest jokes, with the joke being that when SpongeBob and Patrick come across this elderly woman to kind of, you know, woo her, bring on a little bit of charm, SpongeBob asks her if her mother is home. Of course, you know... You're saying that with the idea that you're flattering the lady, you know, you're, you look so young, miss, is your mom home when in fact she's extremely elderly. The joke there being you really don't expect this mom to be home. And when we do see her, she literally is just a spinal cord and what is left of her head still kicking, still living. And SpongeBob and Patrick successfully sell these two a bar of chocolate once they tell her that she has the ability to live forever once it's rubbed on her skin. Um... It is, of course, an absolutely ridiculous lie, but it's a lie that works. They're able to sell a single chocolate bar. And with that information, SpongeBob and Patrick go on an absolute tear throughout Bikini Bottom with a whole multitude of lies, including that this chocolate can make your hair grow. It can make you sound smart. It can make you fly. It can make you fall in love. It can bring world peace. 
give you the ability to walk through walls, help you rule the world, and one of the more stranger ones, keeping your face from getting any uglier, and that was Patrick selling to a man who looked identical to him. The joke being that Patrick even considers himself ugly, or that he would even say that to somebody who looks like him. But they go through an absolute tear throughout the town, apparently to the point that they no longer have anyone else to sell chocolate to. But they do have one last con up their sleeve. They must have some chocolate in the left in the inventory because they approach another house with a new lie. This one not necessarily about the chocolate. This one's a bit even more wrong than just lying about the chocolate. SpongeBob and Patrick are going up to a house all decked out in various medical gear, crutches. They have their legs wrapped up. Patrick is in a neck brace. These two are now faking illness to sell chocolates. They are not flat out lying about what the chocolate can do, but they're lying about their physical state in order to gain sympathy to sell their inventory. And this is where, you know, as much as I can detest lying about a product, you know, sometimes when companies lie or are overzealous in talking about their products, they can still turn out a good product, depending on what it is. But to to gain sympathy over a fake illness in order to profit off of that is absolutely detestable. It is wrong, and that practice blows up in the face of SpongeBob and Patrick in an absolutely beautiful way. Because they come across this fish that answers the door in a worse situation than they find themselves in. He's not just wrapped up by his legs or his arms. His entire body from his neck down is wrapped up. His head is wrapped up. He's even sporting an eye patch and seems to have on uh, a machine to help him breathe. He also has an IV drip. And he's in a rough situation. He was born with glass bones and paper skin. He breaks his arms every morning. He lives in agonizing pain. And the only way that he can survive is by making money from selling chocolates. Now, SpongeBob and Patrick find themselves in a situation where they were going to lie about an, uh, an injury until they found themselves in front of a fish with a real serious situation. And in their guilt, now buy up seemingly the entire inventory of this of this poor fish who, once they're gone, turns out. I'm sure you've guessed it to be the confish from the beginning of this episode. He went and sold these guys more chocolate and made more money off of them. Now, luckily, that's the last time that SpongeBob and Patrick have to deal with that guy. But now they're stuck once again with all of this chocolate and with everybody in town already bought in their original chocolate bars. They now find themselves with no customers to sell to. In comes in top. Good old Tom, who has spent pretty much this entire episode manically chasing down SpongeBob and Patrick through the streets of Bikini Bottom yelling chocolate at them, finally catches up. And now that SpongeBob and Patrick are pretty much almost literally at, against a wall, have nothing to do but listen to whatever Tom is angry about, and once they finally give this guy the time of day to actually say what he wants to say, they end up finding out that he just wants to buy all their chocolate. That's all Tom wants. He wants to buy up their entire inventory of chocolate. I guess just the manic the manic uh, mode that this guy went into was just his desire for chocolate. He just was really excited about it. SpongeBob and Patrick literally melt at the thought of this guy buying up each and every one of their chocolate bars. 
SpongeBob thanks him for his patronage, and now they find themselves without a single chocolate bar to their name, but an entire wheelbarrow of money filled to the brim. But as entrepreneurs, they've now made all this money, but now they have to live the fancy life. It is time to spend that money because if you hoard it, you can't really be fancy. And the end joke of this episode, the end bit brings us to the big fancy restaurant, Bikini Bottom, the old ship in the bottle, where we find ourselves Squidward after reading his fancy living digest has fancied himself a night out on the town. He got himself a nice suit, a top hat, and he's ready to dine in a fancy way. But it turns out that a couple of entrepreneurs and their dates have bought out the entire restaurant and Squidward is forced to spend his one night of being fancy without eating at the fancy restaurant. And of course, you could probably imagine the uh, the two dates, if you didn't already, being the uh, the elderly woman and her mother, Incidental 87, and her mom. It's just, it is the cherry on top of this absolutely beautifully made gooberberry sunrise, and I couldn't have it any other way. I I don't know what else to say about this episode, other than it's one of the funniest episodes, it's it's one of my personal favorites. It certainly brings back a lot of those memories of selling chocolates. I've I've done it before. I've gone door to door selling chocolates before. It's a weird experience. I don't ever want to do it again. I don't want to go door to door selling anything. I don't want to bother people in their homes. I don't want to bother people on their phones. I don't want to bother people at all. I didn't mean for that to be a rhyme, but I'm serious about it all the time. I just don't want to bother people. Unless, you know, I work somewhere and, and I'm there to sell to you, well, I wouldn't call it bothering. You're just going to get good service. That's what I call it. Uh, but yeah, that is this week's episode, Chocolate with Nuts. I hope it. I hope if you haven't watched this episode in a long time, do yourself a favor. Go back and watch it. It's absolutely worth diving back into. Um, now, just a reminder, if you were a listener of This Week in Nickelodeon History, that show is going through a bit of a soft reboot and will relaunch as its own podcast on April 1st, 2022. It is the anniversary of Nickelodeon. The first episode will be dropping on that Friday with future subsequent episodes dropping on Sundays on its own audio podcast feed. If you are a listener to this through YouTube, you don't have to change anything you're doing. There'll just be another upload. As far as the Squarecast is concerned, I am going to be moving the days a little bit around. Now that I'll be dropping this week in Nickelodeon history, on the Sunday of the week we'll be talking about, I might be adjusting the Squarecast to either a Wednesday or Thursday drop, although it seems to be undecided. Everything will kind of shift into place after the first week of this week in Nickelodeon history. So after that, please pay attention uh, to whenever things do drop. I'll probably keep things to a Wednesday time. It might be easier for me to, to get those out. Although Thursdays seem pretty enticing as well. If you have a preference on when you would like the Squarecast to drop, certainly let me know. I, I take in any and all opinions about the show or any of the things I'm doing. I love to hear what you guys think. As always, my name is Captain Eric. Thank you for listening. Thank you for making me a part of your week. If you like any of the stuff that I'm putting out, any of the podcasts, the videos, and there's a way that you can support that liking, subscribing, any of it, you do you. I appreciate you nonetheless. All of it is appreciative by the captain. Welcome to the Ready Crew, and thank you for coming aboard. Thank you for listening to this episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. Until next week, mateys. See you soon. Fancy living, here we come.